This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Message. What up, what up? It's Heather's cousin. You dated her in college, or maybe you were just in the same class. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat, my man. Let's hit the water. Oh, and Heather told me you always liked uh, snacks and stuff, so I could totally bring some chips. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them, and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Hey, also, I'm a little short on cash, so can you cover the chips? Thanks. I can see why Heather liked you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Is a Millwall legend, played 256 games for the club, scored 71 goals, came from relatively nowhere and then become massive within the football scene. It is an absolute pleasure of mine and us to welcome the one and only Alex Ray. Welcome. Thanks very much, Charlie. I like that. He's, he came from nowhere and we made him what he is. Yeah, he's taking all the credit. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, first question is obviously you you were at Bishop Briggs Boys Club, um, yeah, up in Scotland, and then obviously you were at, um, you had a trial with Rangers, and then obviously you're at um, Falkirk. You come from Falkirk, um, yeah. for about underground. What made you come to Millwall? Well, listen, to, to, to kind of factually correct us, I actually was an apprentice at Rangers. Okay, uh, yeah, I missed and then, that bit and then, and, No, no, and the reason why I say it, mate, is because it's important because it's a factor and it was a kind of defining moment uh, for me as a as a young guy, really. Graham Soonis came into Rangers and, I, and after three months, he let, he let us go. And I was absolutely devastated. And, and I, I've often said this, I don't mind... Uh, I was actually going to give up football at that stage. I just turned 17. I'd been booted out uh, of the club I love. I know this is a Millwall podcast. News guys are like, staunch uh, Millwall. Mm. But I think it's important to recognise the impact it has on young guys when they get booted out of the club for the first time, you know, particularly the club that you want to, you have all your aspirations to play for. So what happened was there was a geezer phoned me right out the blue after I got let go from uh, from Rangers. And he said to me, "Can you? would you like to come and play for Bishop Briggs? And so my ego at that time has gone, Rangers? To an amateur mob, I went, nah, it's not for me, mate. Fuck's sake, that's a hell of a fucking, that's a fall from grace, you know what I mean? So I said, no, I'm not I'm not entertaining that. And the guy talked me around and it was a def- defining moment because three months after I went to play for Bishop Briggs, 
I get signed up and get another opportunity to get back into football because it, it genuinely my heart was fucking broken because I'd been rejected and I understand why kids get lost to the game now. So, uh, so it was and it great. And by the way, Falkirk was fucking that was mental. What an unbelievable apprenticeship! I went there as a seventeen-year-old boy and I ended up playing a hundred games with guys that would volley all over the pitch. You get know, you. You've mentioned guys that played two, three, four hundred games, and I've just got this young cheeky fucker for the East End of Glasgow, and they booted the shit out of you, and you either sank or you swam, and, and I was ready to come to Millwall. But to to, to answer your question about Millwall, you said to me, "No, you you would never know nothing about Falkirk. It was a relatively small provincial club, and the ground was fucking falling to bits. It was falling to bits." And I get the phone call uh, to say, can you come down to Millwall on a Friday? Uh, just bring a bag for the weekend. I'm thinking, they maybe just want me to have a look. There was no talk about me actually signing or anything. And within an hour, of well, Bob Pearson picked me up at Heathrow, drove me to Millwall. And as I was driving past the old den, I was looking about going, my fucking God, what an absolute shithole. And I was thinking to myself, get me back to Falkirk. Because that I was looking about, and then when they took me into the ground, and they showed me around the pitch, and it was all the fucking fence, and I thought, I'm in the wrong movie here. Because well, in my mind, I've got this beautiful club in London, <laughs> and then you pitch up at the, the old den. So first impressions weren't great, but um, I met I met the team uh, that afternoon. Uh, they were they were meeting up to go to um, to Aberystwyth on the Monday, and I went I went out for a night out with Malcolm Allen on uh, on the Friday night to a place called Bon Bonnie's. I'll never forget it, man. Um, it fucking scared me. It was over 30 years ago and it scared me. So um, um, so that was my introduction to London. My first day in London, I went to the den, which overwhelmed me. I thought, what's this all about? And then Malcolm Allen took me under his wing. So what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and from there on in, I think you, you you made your debut pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think uh, if my memory serves me right, one of the first games that we played... But listen, I... He, he, he's, he, this is the thing we went to Aberystwyth and it was one of the hardest pre-seasons I've ever done I think I've done about 20 pre-seasons over the course of my career it was brutal and I mean fucking brutal and I was fit as a fiddle then I was yeah, I just I was 20 years of age and we went to these sandwiches. I don't know if there's a couple of older guys in this group chat so there's do you remember the film with, with Sean Connery called The Hill you remember yeah. the, the old movie? And uh, I'm not joking. We were running up sand dunes that were like this. It was like fucking, it was the size of this house. It was just kind of up, down, up, down. And uh, after we'd finished all these kind of sand dunes, running up fucking, honestly, it was brutal. Bruce Rio says, listen, guys, the bus is five miles along that beach that way. Um, get your asses to there. And then when the last guy gets there, we get back to the digs. And I'm thinking to myself, this is fucking horrific. And I think I finished fourth or fifth in the running. I was so I was so keen to impress Bruce Rielk. And uh, so I finished fifth. The next day we did the same thing. And I was saying, see if I can improve on fourth or fifth. There's a good chance I can maybe make a start. That's the question you asked me. I, I was just wanted to let these guys know I was fit enough and I could run. And on the second day, um, I got after a flyer. And I finished third, and uh, Terry Hullock was second. And I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck did he get past me? Right? 
So I'm sitting with wee hurl up that night and I says, Tell, how how did you manage to how did you manage to run past me? He went, I got on the fucking bus, son. <laughs> he jumped on the bus and fucking got a bus and came off a half a mile. And when the first person went past him, he jumped in. He wetted his hair in the sea and Bruce Real thought he was fucking brilliant at running. Box office. <laughs> but he but he was um uh, it was just a great squad, and no, but the first game I think was a Friday night game against Hibs at the Old Den. I don't know if any of you remember that because it was kind of known for a bit of it off was the a field. Bit naughty that game, wasn't it? Yeah, well, the, the Hibs boys come down thinking they were a bit lively, and unfortunately, they get sent packing. I'm led to believe so. Um, but 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 that gave me a wee indication of some of the players we had that night. Malcolm Allen scored a goal that night. I don't know if you remember. And he actually toe poked. I'd never, I'd never been in a football game where I seen a guy toe poke a ball running, but toe poke a ball like a wee sharp prod. And uh, I thought, I said to him after, I said, "You're a fucking lucky bastard. You've toe poked that in." And then over the course of the couple of months after that, the amount of times I seen him hit the ball so early with a little toe poke because the keeper wasn't set, and then I, I, I started to realise that I was playing with players, and this was the greatest respect to the Falkirk players. I was playing with players that were fucking really cute and clever players, you know, because Sheringham was the striker that as well. Jimmy Carter, Cali, uh, all the guys. I think Les was there and Terry was still there. Um, Gary Waddock. Then I think you had at the back Big Woody and uh, Maka, uh, Wee Dorsey. So it was, a, it was a brilliant squad of players. And then you had the uh, uh, Hornburger and goals, man. Fuck me. Every time he looked at a, a, a hamburger, he put a bit four stone on Horny. <laughs> so, um, it was just a brilliant group of boys. Uh, and then obviously Rhino as well, which epitomised what Millwall was for me. He he was he was lethal. And and the great thing about Rhino is, see when anybody came into that dressing room, he never fucking said a peep. He would look at them. He would look at them and he would... You almost had to earn the right to be in that dressing room. And a few times early on, because I was trying to impress that the... <laughs> I was trying to impress Bruce... Few times he would fucking rifle you with eight dodgy elbows. You know, we used to just tackle you with his elbows. Oh, gosh, you can't. So, um, it was a, a wee introduction to Reynolds as if to say, You need to earn the right to be in this dressing room, son. And, and it was great. And I loved it. And then I, my, my, I remember my first game, it was Watford. It was about 90, 92, 93 degrees uh, away from home. And I think Malcolm Allen scored the both of them. Um, I think I got hooked after about an hour. And then my home debut, I think, was on a Tuesday. And we, 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 I think we beat Barnsley. And I think that was my first goal. Just, and to score against the, the, you know, a home in the den, the old den, was great. Because it got me up and running. So it was, it was great. It was a good, it was a great start to, to things. You're spot on with um, your fact-checking. It was a 4-1 win against Barnsley, obviously, at home. What was your first kind of perception of the fans? Obviously, you mentioned, like, you know, you, you've come down to South London and you yeah. weren't too sure what to expect. What was your kind of preconception before you came to the club and obviously when you oh, got there? Yes. Well, to be honest, honestly, I didn't really know a great deal. You'd often heard about Millwall, but it was, it was for all the wrong reasons, uh, occasionally on the news. Because uh, at that time, you didn't have Sky News or anything. So it wasn't as if it was in your face. Like, I, I'm watching Sky News now, so it's like 24-7 now, whereas back then it wasn't quite the, the same. Um, and... Uh, Listen, I, I, I don't think it was a Barnsley game, but I think whatever the f- first or second game after that at the Den, I remember trying. <laughs> I remember where to take a throw in, and you know they had the fence, and you could just put your fingers, your hands through it, and and because of the proximity of the fence and where the shy line was, I'm trying there. This guy poked me in the back and went, "Oh, you little fucker, loving up, you can't." <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought, fuck that. I never took a throw in again at the old den. It was brilliant, man. And it was great because these people were fucking on your case. Um, and, and and I know we're, I'm digressing, but I, I went to work with MK Dons years later. And Mick Harford, who was, uh, everybody knows Big Mick, a great guy, a big Sunderland guy. But um, he's been about the block. Uh, he's now coaching at um, Luton. And uh, he says, how long were you at Millwall, Alex? I says, oh, six years. And he uh, he says, fuck me, you must have been a good player by the fuckers, don't you? They, they, <laughs> you didn't last long there, they soon let you know. But I think that's a fair a fair point. I think the fans are very demanding uh, at the den. Um, but I, I have to be honest with you, it was nothing that ever bothered me because, as I said, I started relatively well and I, and I always had a good, a good rapport uh, with the fans. Was it difficult to establish yourself in that dressing room? Because you obviously had some very strong characters. You had Herlock, Rhino, Steve Wood, people like that that weren't exactly backwards in coming forwards. Yeah, I think I I I genuinely, you had to to actually, um, uh, it was a very tight knit. If you you go back to, I think, 88 or whenever it was, they won promotion. A lot of these guys had been through it. And then you've got this wee asshole coming from Glasgow, think these are bollocks. And uh, and then all of a sudden, but I have to be honest with you, I was back up the road most of that first season. I, I, I travelled back and forth to Glasgow most weekends because it was a European city of culture. <laughs> Glasgow, you couldn't fucking bake it up. The European city <laughs> of culture. And um, and uh, the nightclubs were open to six and seven in the morning. So I, I couldn't wait to get back to Glasgow. And, and then I used to get the red eye back down in the morning. I was always... Fucking literally scratching to get back into training for for kickoff time at half ten on a Sunday morning, but um, I have to say, uh, just because of my nature as well, I was very outgoing. I wasn't I wasn't a shy boy, um, and there was a culture there at that particular time where there was a few of them going out for a few pints. Uh, so I fitted in in that in that aspect. It wasn't as if I was going home after training and and you know and um, studying a business degree. Like, one or two in the one or two in the in the, in the camp at that time. So no, I, I fitted in relatively well. I didn't have an issue. I didn't think there was a but because you because you uh you know you're trying to impress now a few of the older boys, as I say to you, Rhino fucking, he was forever slapping me. Big Mick McCarthy was always close like me. You run past Mick and he catches you in the throat with his fucking flailing arms. So it was um I I loved it. I I particularly that first season. That first season was great and I'd, I'd get into a dressing room that there was some, as I said, I've mentioned it loads of times. I was forced to go into a strong team. They were really good. They were um, they were just full of characters in their, their own way, you know. Um, and, and aye, they were great, man. And uh, it, even when you think about the people around about the club, I, I, when I was speaking to uh, Mikey the other day, you know, when I first went down there, you, you had Chief, Chief Superintendent Ken Chapman, who became a good pal of mine and all. Um, and then you'd obviously father father Rowan, who's been at the club for nigh on thirty years at the time that I, when I first joined. So you know you get guys like Billy Neal, and they're the guys. Footballers come and go. They, they, these are the heart and soul, uh, Veronica, and, and that up in up in the hospitality. So these people are the people that matter, really. Um, it's just part giving you part, and it's funny. And I'm not saying this because I'm on a Millwall podcast. I, I'm on the radio every weekend. And we've obviously got the big television. Every time Millwall, Wolves, Sunderland, Falk, any of my team score, I always get a yes. And I, and I genuinely mean it because all the clubs that I played for, I was actually kind of well received by the fans. Um, and, and because you put in a shift when you were there, um, I still have an affiliation with them all. I love it. 
lot of fans probably um, won't agree with you with Ken Chapman. Um, a lot of them fucking hate That fellow would nick his own grandma if he had the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> no, and let's, let, let, me, listen, let me explain to you where I'm coming from. Ken That's what Chapman I wanted you to do. This story yeah, is brilliant. Listen, no, fucking... Ken Chapman used to come into the dressing room and whenever you see a guy of that kind of rank, he's imposing. He's got all the regalia on. He's got all the, the kind of silver buttons and he's got the hat that's fucking precious. It's immaculate. Top draw for the Met. And he used to have this wooden stick uh, being polished. And at the end of both sides, he'd have a little silver, um, like about one inch, and he used, to, he used to just put it under his arm like that and he'd walk about and go, right, guys, you have a responsibility today. Do not antagonise. We will arrest you, right? And then he'd walk over to me and he'd go, fucking especially you. <laughs> Which I loved, right? I said, Ken, I promise you, I promise you, I will not antagonise anybody. It's, it's, by the way, if you ever look at any YouTube pictures of me, I'm running away going, get a fucking hubbies. Um, so... And it used to, and it became a running joke because there was no way you could ever contain, contain myself. Uh, because I, the one thing I always come across to my celebrations is it was pure fucking raw emotion. Um, and when I look back, I wish I could get a signature one, you know, like something like that, something that was cooler. Fucking, just, I just didn't, you didn't know what you were going to get with me. It was just pure emotion. But the reason why I said I've kept in touch with Ken Chapman. Uh, and it's funny because when, when I mentioned it to Mikey the other day, he went, Oh, did you get AF for a few criminal charges? I went, Did he fuck? <laughs> but um, the, the, the thing, the thing uh, with Ken was when I left in 96, I was obviously at Wolves, uh, uh, Sunderland, I went up to Dundee. I've, I've had various uh, coaching roles. So when, when Millwall maybe play against Wolves, they'll maybe have a feature about myself or things or a picture of myself playing for both clubs. And Ken always went out his way to send me a program up, and I just thought it was a lovely touch to keep in touch uh, over all these years. And whenever I've met him, going down to the odd, odd occasion, I went down to the den. Um, I always, I always see him, and, I, and it just reminds me of good times when I was at the at the, at the ground. Listen, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be one or two Bill fans that'll fucking get a grievance, but that wasn't my experience with the guy. Because that first season, you settled in fairly well, didn't you? You yeah. you hit the ground running. I think you scored twice in a four-all FA Cup draw against Sheffield Wednesday. Listen, listen, see, see, sorry, see, to stay, but I never had that four each. Uh, uh, I think, did I score the equaliser late on in that game? Literally the dying yeah, seconds. Yeah. yeah. Were running back to, seas were running back to the halfway line. Kevin Callahan's got me in a headlock and he went, are you fucking stupid? We're going to go up to Sheffield and get pumped now. <laughs> so we, we, Cali didn't want to travel all the way up to Sheffield on Tuesday night because you know we'll get pumped. But um, that was a just, that, that, it's funny because there was a picture doing the rounds today uh, with Chris Waddle uh, uh, chasing me, I think, on a Millwall top. And uh, that Sheffield uh, Wednesday team was Tremendous. They play, and I never forget my team. Uh, my the, the team talk prior to it. Bruce Rio pulled me to the side and says, "Alex, this is you're going to come up against top, uh, probably top class opposition that you've ever come up against." He says, and "That's with the greatest respect to Scottish football." He says, "I've got guys like uh, Chris Waddle, John Sheridan, Big Pearson, the David Hurst. You know, fucking good players." And and he says to me, "John Sheridan can't run." You need to get close to him because the one thing he's got is real good te- technical ability 
And within, I think, 15, 20 minutes, he had threaded two passes and uh, to David Hurst uh, and someone else, I think it was. And we were two, I think we might have been 2 0 down or it, it fucking felt like that. And, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, fuck, I've got to go in here at half time and Bruce Root's going to terrorise me because his last words were, get close to Sheridan. Um, but anyway, we managed to we managed to get the four each draw. It was a brilliant game. I remember it fondly. I do. How was yeah. um, Bruce Real for you? Sorry to buy in there because um, we had Bri- we had Brian Horn on, and I don't know if he's going to come out before or after. Oh, we've already had him on. Sorry, previously. And Brian yeah. Horn, um, say to say, didn't really get on with Bruce Real, but obviously yeah. he was the man that brought you down to London. So good relationship with him. Do you know? I had a good a good relationship with Bruce. Um, I'm not exactly sure how long into my tenure, you know, the time that I was, I'm going to say 18 months, maybe 20 months, that Bruce from start to finish and then Bruce left. Um, oh, listen, I, I feel, listen, I can only talk, I, I had a good relationship with Bruce. He, he gave me a wee bit of leeway. I had some off the field issues at that particular time as well. And he supported me. Um, he, I'll be honest, he, he fucking said to me, get out of London or we'll send you back to Scotland. So, so I moved. I moved to Kent, um, and I have to be honest with you. Me and Malcolm Allen bought a, um, <laughs> we bought uh, uh, flats adjacent to each other in this retirement home. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> I swear to God, you know when you've got there's these programs now, neighbours for hell. Me, me and the bold Malcolm. Fucking terrorised these people in the flats for the best part. I, I lasted for about five years. It was I felt sorry for him honestly. It was fucking carnage. But um, I get back to Bruce. 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 Bruce wanted to uh, stamp his authority on with the senior players, and uh, you know, all, all the young boys were scared of him anyway because he had a, he had an unbelievable presence. He was a right hard bastard. He used to train with us and. If you if you were cheeky or you did something that you didn't think he didn't he, he laid one on you, um, and I don't think that went down particularly well with some of the old boys. I, I didn't give a fuck, you know. What I mean, I've, I've managed myself. So when it came to try to get people livened up, I, I used to I used to lay one on them as well. So I've done that. But um, I like Bruce, uh, and I actually met Bruce. I'm going to say about six or seven years, eight years after uh, after Millwall. His son was coaching at Coventry. He was academy director, uh, Greg. Uh, and I met Bruce and I said, listen, I'll you a big apology, mate. I, didn't, I could have done a lot more for you uh, at your stint in Millwall. And, and I wanted to, in fact, it was probably been eight or nine years uh, after after uh, uh, um, Bruce left. And, and I met him and he says, no, listen, son, you done okay. You, know, you don't need to apologise. But I did, there was times, some of, the, some of my particular behaviour wasn't great um, in terms of professionalism. Um, so, you know, I was just trying to say to the guy, I'm sorry, I could have probably done a bit more for you. Um, but as I said, I like Bruce. I, I, I did, I like Bruce. I like uh, Steve Harrison. You know, he's assistant manager and all. Big Ian Evans, Taff was there. Um, so, no, listen, I look back at it and I look at it fondly. It, particularly the first year. The first year we, I think we finished third. And um, and then, um, I'm trying to think, let me get this right. Uh, and then obviously the yeah, fuck me. That was that was tragic, man. Because I think we turned them over twice in the league, and we just never turned up. Really, uh, I actually think we went into that game. I'll be honest with you. See, as a young boy, I didn't I didn't quite grasp uh, the ramifications of that playoff because it was the first year. I'd never experienced it, 
I never quite grasped it. It's a couple of years later when I realised, I thought, fucking hell, what an opportunity that was to bounce back up. Um, so, you know, and play at the top table. Um, I think that's probably as close as we've got. We should, we should, with that team, I think I think when I look back now, I think that was probably one of the big regrets. Uh, I know we got to the playoffs further down the line, but I think that team was probably better than the, uh, a few years later. Uh, I, I lived in an old vicarage. It was beautiful, man. What a place it was. I, I was actually, it's, it's, my missus popped up a, a picture a couple of days ago. Bruce told me to fuck off out of London, which was fair enough. And, and I moved out there and I moved a hundred yards for the local pub. It was a fucking disaster. And um, so me and Malcolm were in there until Malcolm left. And um, it, it was a great, and, and see since 1991, which was my first house that I bought, I've actually, all, I'm going to say about 90% of the time over the, 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 the next 30 years, I've always lived in the country. Now I'm a Glasgow boy, the east end of Glasgow, the tenement buildings. And I now live out in the sticks, which I absolutely loved. And it all came from Mepham. I, I just love the, the the slow life, the privacy you get from from living out in the sticks. It was Kevin Callahan that talk, uh, talked me into buying, uh, the, his missus was an estate agent. and uh, But it was hard because I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a license uh, up until I was about 24. So commuting in and out of uh, Mepham was a bit of a chore. Yeah, so I bet it was, exactly it was out of the way. So what exactly went wrong in those playoff semi-finals? Was it just complacency? No, no, I don't think it was complacency at all. I think I think when you go into these games, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how the scoring went, but I, I knew right away that we were we were playing catch-up. I think the first, did the first leg know something like 5-1 or 5-2 or some fucking thing, or 4-2 or something? 4-1. I think we went 1-0 yeah. up, didn't we, in that game? Mm. Yeah, but then it went all wrong. I, 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 I think I remember the geezer I was up against. Was it a boy called Connor? A black yeah. lad? Con- yeah. uh, and, and he was a fucking physical, he was a big physical specimen. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to fucking terrorise this guy. But on the day, he had an unbelievable, I remember the geezer. Um, yeah, Robert um, Codner. Robert Codner. That was him, that was him, mate. I, I remember him and I remember going, going I've had a great year and we're in there. I think, as I said to you, I thought we were in there going, you, you say complacency. Mate, it, it could have, I, I didn't feel as if we were going in there and we were swanning it because, and then obviously you find yourself 4-1 down and then obviously the home game, you're trying to chase it and then all of a sudden, you know, leaving yourself wide open. Um, but see, when I reflect back to the days, uh, I, I told you that I was playing with far better players and, and, when, I, and when I look back, thinking as a 20, I would have been 21 after a few months at Millwall, I turned 21. And the, the problem with being 21 is you think you know fucking everything. And I, in my mind, I was always saying, as long as I'm uh, setting up goals or uh, scoring goals, I'm contributing. Uh, and what I should have been thinking is, see if I start fucking tracking back and being a lot more rounded. Uh, my, my approach, I was fucking, I was a glory hunter. So, I think looking back, uh, I wish that I spent more time on adapting uh, the shitty side of the game. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I always tried back and I always put my foot in. But I, I, in my mind, it was all I was kind of justifying the goals and things more so because once I did start adopting, and I think this comes with experience, so probably a bit harsh myself, but I, I, I could have been more rounded. Uh, I could have been more rounded 
and learn a wee bit quicker on the on the job because um, it took me years to actually for that penny to drop. Yeah, but I guess it's just one of those things at that age, isn't it? You... <laughs> yeah. No, no, listen, it's it is. Thing, isn't it? That's oh, fuck me. I'm sitting here as a 51-year-old guy wanting to slap myself for how I was behaving and how my <laughs> thought process, but I suppose it's just it's pure, pure experience. Um, and, and it does, it takes, you, it takes you time to adapt to that. And, uh, I, you know, even guys like Ian Dawes were always great because they were always trying to give you advice. That The problem with cunts giving you advice is that you need to, um, you need to be receptive to that advice and when you when, when you think you know things you, you don't really take it in even though and then at some point down the line the penny eventually drops and you think these fucking guys were telling me that for years uh, and all they were trying to do was help you man give you guys a dozen that were brilliant really good guys and then if we fast forward I think yeah. a couple of years you played at the last game at the Den what was that like against Bristol Rovers I've no idea I've actually, I've fucking told you, I've, t- I've told you, uh, is that where they all ran onto the pitch afterwards? Oh, oh, no, no, yeah. yeah, there was about a yeah. thousand pitch invasions that day. Yeah, wasn't there? yeah. Well, the, <laughs> you probably got your top and everything else, your well, shorts, your boots, your well, socks, your pants, everything taken. No, 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 no. This is, this is, no, listen, I do remember, I vaguely remember. I, uh, I remember running on and I remember sitting in the dressing room and I didn't have a, I, I stole my shorts on. And Andy Roberts just was sitting opposite me and he says, have you fucking stole my shorts? <laughs> so I think cuts laughing. And uh, th- this is fucking true. See, when I came at the Wonderwall game, the used boys had a couple of years ago, <laughs> this, this geezer pulled out a bag and he went, you couldn't sign this top for me, how could you? And I went, fuck me, that's an old top, son, isn't it? He went, yeah, it's yours. I says, is it? I says, where'd you get that? He says, I ripped it off your fucking back in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God, you just reminded me. And do you know what he said to me? By the way, he said to me, I've been, uh, listen, I think with the one, when was the Wonderball? 2018, 17? Yeah, 18, 19, yeah, two right. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what 18. he said to me? He says, I've been waiting 25 years for you to sign it so I can get the fucking thing framed. I mean, <laughs> you that's a thought, true story. You would have thought that there was, I mean, the first Wonderball Cup, I mean, obviously, we were talking about it earlier, but we managed to get Alex involved and it was, it was, Obviously, really cut. We had someone different pick him up from the airport. We had someone else take him back to the airport. Oh, no. I missed my then. flight, didn't I? I yeah, yeah, flight. So we, we had him all there. And literally, there, that wasn't just the only fella, was it? There seemed to be loads of people from from that era, obviously a lot younger in that era, who, who wanted pictures or you to sign stuff for yeah. theirs and everything. But, yeah, I remember that fella because he was, was like... Was great. Yeah, <laughs> it was bizarre. And, 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 and listen, I can't even remember. He, he, he introduced me to his son. And, and his boy had a, a, a name it was a strange name it was all, I think obviously it was a player and I thought to myself fuck me that's bizarre by the way yeah and I, and I get chatting to his boy and I say it's great to see your dad still fucking you know passing on the, the, to the next generation and I think that's what it's all about really and, you know I've got my wee man and um, I'm, you know we've, we've obviously had issues at Rangers in recent years because of uh, the merchandise and the money was going to Mike Ashley and so forth I think the Rangers were getting about fucking five pence in the pound and everybody was refusing to buy it. And it's just a simple thing about buying your boy a football top. You know what I mean? It's fucking, there's something magical about buying your kid and your daughters and things, uh, uh, the team you support. 
because it was quite an eventful time to be at the Yevil at Millwall at that time. Obviously, the yeah. club was in transition, really, weren't they? They were moving from a dilapidated ground into yeah. Reggie's great vision for McDonald yep. pizza on the concourses and Christ knows what else. Yeah, what was it actually like? Listen, I think it's fair to say, and I think when you speak to most people about the transition, do you know the thing is, I love the old day. You know, when I told you it's a shithole and all that, and listen, I, know, I understand you've got to move with times. That fucker Brian Horn used to have a bar in the players' lounge. Now, see this chair? This chair's bigger than the players' lounge. It was a tiny, sweet fuck it. It was like a little cupboard. And I'm not joking, you had about 300 characters in there. It's the most unsavoury characters you're ever likely to see. And Horn, they used to be the, 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 the treasurer of that bar. And honestly, we used to go in there at what, five o'clock? And at eight o'clock, there was not a fucking drink to be had in it. We used to stock it up every week and, and all the money was going to the players' pool at the end of the year. And the bull tourney turned up. We went to Magaluf each year and the bull tourney would turn up and they go, great boys, we'll get about 145 quid in the kitty. And all the boys are going, fuck off. <laughs> honestly, he must have, he used to drive about the Porsche him by the I'm sure he bought the fucking Porsche with the money he was tilt. Fucking pilfering out of that, that that players' lounge, but I loved it. But 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 going to the old den, going to the old den. Sorry, going to the new den was it was strange because all of a sudden people weren't intimidated as much. I thought the surroundings at the old den thing made, but over over time, I think that kind of hostility really kicked back in again. There's nothing better, and I remember so many games over the, over the piece where we had some good cup ties. I think we played Chelsea. I think we played Arsenal at, uh, at, the, old, uh, at the, the sorry the new den. And it was, I'm sure it was a sellout. And I remember drawing one day, uh, but see when they actually, and it's reverberating round. It, honestly, it's, uh, even for the eight guys. I, I, I remember speaking to Ian Wright, who became a coach. And Wright, he's a big Millwall man. His auntie used to stay around the corner for the old den. And uh, I, 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 this is brilliant. I, I, I'm taking off on a tangent now. We were coaches at MK Don and we went to watch a player in London and we wound up in a wine bar. Ian Wright, myself. Now I'm sober as a judge, I'm driving. And Cal Robinson, the, the, the manager. And, uh, and, uh, and me, righty, are in there. Little more can dance to <laughs> It was fucking box office, man. And uh, and then, obviously, I, I said to him, what was it like playing at the day? And he went, Alec, it's fucking magnificent. And, and see, because he right his temperament, see, the more abuse right he got, he fucking loved it and he thrived on that. But lesser individuals would crumble under that kind of, you know, that kind of hostile environment. So I, th- I think initially it was, we had to find our feet at the new, the new surroundings. But it, it was by far, you look at the facilities they had, it was state-of-the-art. And it was just a case of moving with the times because it, it would it would have been nigh on impossible to fulfil all the the criteria rolled in, you know, because it was it was falling to bits. How was it coming back when you come to the Wonderwall a couple of years ago? From obviously you were there when it first opened, and everything else. Yeah. How much how much of the dressing rooms changed? Because obviously with the Wonderwall, yeah. we we got the home dressing room. Um, we couldn't have Millwall legends coming back and going in the yeah. shit one. Um, so yeah, how how was that remembering, obviously, 
dressing rooms for miles. Yeah. Well, do, 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 you, you see the dressing room, but see the actual drive into the to the den where you've got to come under the railway or that bridge there. Uh, so coming along that road, it, it, uh, coming along the old Kent Road, it just kind of has memories flooding back to me. And and obviously, the, the, when I come back in 2018, a lot of the places where I used to frequent, like uh, the Scribbles. world upside down, uh, I was there, it was Scribbles a few times, but it was like, um, oh, where was the place I used to go to? The main one in the old Kent Road. Um, Where'd you go, Thomas Beckett or Yeah, I used Canterbury. to go to... No, no, there was another place. Fuck me, I, my mind's went blank. Um uh, it was it was opposite the world upside down, just like going into the old Kent Road a little bit. Oh, what on the oh. opposite side? Yeah, Jim pa- the either Jim, Jim Palace. Palace. Yeah, yeah, Jim Palace. Fuck. Well, we used to be in there all the time, man. So, uh, so you had the Jim Palace, and so like kind of going along that road, it, it totally changed and things. And um, yeah, and it's funny because as I said, to you, I've not had a drink for a hell of a long time, but um, when I was speaking. To Mike the other day I says is as I says uh I says is um is uh, Gregorian still going on and and uh and um you know Birmingham and that so it, it changed but it still kind of took me down memory lane there used to be a was it Graceland or something like the Chinese place just yeah yeah with the Elvis fuck <laughs> I went I went in there one Saturday night by the way for a for a bit of tucker and the geezers get the white regalia on ho oh, oh, ho oh. ho and, and he didn't even know a fucking word of English. He kept going, hey, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? So so all around that area, uh, you had the crown and anchor and things. So obviously that, and then obviously you went into the, the stadium because I think, uh, I, I obviously, had, I knew the kit man for years was Big Gary um, for for years as well. Uh, you know Ken, Ken, what was his name? Oh, I know uh, you were about... Yeah, um, Ken, Chuck, uh, Ken, what was his name? He no. he was the original. He was there all the time. I was there. Yeah, Ken I know was you great, about. He, was a, he was a miserable, like a proper kit man. He wouldn't give you fuck all. He was miserable, but it was a proper character and all. Um, but so, I went down, but, but as I said, he's, the dressing rooms are pretty much the same as they were back then, same size. And, and when, I, when, I came with, uh, when I came with Wolves, I think... Um, I think uh, I was in the away dressing room and I think, fucking hell, this is shitty compared to the, they're obviously far bigger. Uh, but as I said, you know, when the wonder wall, you got up to that first landing, uh, you know, the first uh, kind of hospitality. Yeah. I used to go up and, I used to go up and see, um, what was his name again? Uh, Moriarty, the, 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 you know, the actor and all that. I used to go up there and, it's a, you know, the, you, I, I used to be consoled, so intimidated when I initially started to go up there because he... <laughs> He thought these fucking geezers and overcoats. Oh, I like san. And I, 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 I love it. And and uh, so you know, even though you get back all these years, and I kept in touch with one or two of the guys over there, and and, and even when you were over to the boxes, uh, whenever I was suspended, uh, I used to try and make a point of going over to the boxes because you could always get a pint all there with a couple of the characters at the boxes over that far side. So. I just like I just enjoyed the whole the whole experience here. And and uh, listen, I'll be honest about when I was at Millwall, I was seeing players leave uh, every year. And I think that was part of the problem. That they had to continuously sell players to try and break even, you know, Ben Thatcher, John Goodwin, um, Big Chris Armstrong, Andy Roberts. Uh, you know, the list the list is fucking endless. And I always felt as if I was the one that was always missing out. And these boys were going and getting good moves and good money. And I, I, partly it was because of the, the way I was behaving off the pitch. People were going, fuck this, we ain't touching this guy. 
So, um, but anyway, um, eventually, you know, eventually got the move. But uh, we obviously had the playoffs. When was the playoffs? Was it 95, 94, 95? It's Derby County, 93, 94. Yeah, that was that was a tragic one at all. But um, that they were spending a right few quid at that time. You know, they did Gabardini and all that. You know, they were spending fortunes. Uh, was, was Tommy Johnson there at that time and all guys like that? Uh, so they, they, they had a right good team. They had a couple yeah, of foreigners as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah we lost 2-0 uh, up there, didn't we? And then we and then we lost 3-1 at home, I think. Yeah, I think it was a pitch invasion every time they scored, wasn't it? Yeah, no, and it was, it, was, it was a bad way to go because the thing is, it was a game you want to try and have a fine chance. The, uh, what, what I've come to realise is they all fucking that was a jinx man I think that was I got to uh, I think we had two there uh, one there I think uh, out, of, out of five playoffs sorry four f- the first four playoffs I, I lost and then eventually and it's ironic because the three times sorry the four times I got to the playoffs I, I, I finished third in the league four times and because you just miss out, finish third four times. That was it. And every time, every time we, uh, you just miss out. It's almost like a body blow. You know, it's almost as if it's. And the time that I did get promoted, we just get in in sixth place. So we had momentum going into these playoffs. And I, th- I think that's a factor. Uh, a lot of the times, um, it wasn't my experience anyway. So uh, it was disappointing because again, that was a good year. And, and I think the brand of football that we played under Big Mick. Was uh, was good. I think the punters liked it at that time. You know, we some good football players in the team. What was the worst playoff to lose? The first one or the second one? I would. I'd probably say the second one, uh, purely because I had a more of an understanding what it meant to get. And, and again, you've been in England for well, that'd have been my fourth season, and I'm thinking to myself, "What a fucking bastard!" Because the thing is, you know, the English Premiership has started at that time as well. You know what I mean? So. Sky Sports has started. You're up the pub every Monday night watching the football and you're thinking, because Big Teddy was, you know, thriving at Notts Forest and, and you're thinking, you're saying, oh man, I fucking slice it up. You know, that was, um, and, it, and it never, it never happened. So, um, I, I would say the second one purely because I, I, I knew what it meant to, to everyone and uh, the, the, the rewards that was coming that way as well was, uh, was difficult. Because that was a really eventful season, wasn't it? I think we've just moved to the den. Yeah. Den as it is now. Well, we played sport in Lisbon, I think, in the first game. That's correct, eh? Yeah, which uh, which must have been a mad experience because they had some top quality players, didn't they? Yeah. What was the score that day? Was it 2-1? 3-1? 2-1 to them, maybe? Yeah, because it was, uh, what's his face? It was American boy, wasn't it? John, who scored? John Kerr. John Kerr was the first the first guy to score at that stadium. That's right. And then I think you, yeah, but then, yeah, but that season, yeah, but you played Charlton and you got sent off, didn't you, in the first game, which I think was... Who that was that against? Charlton. Um, I, listen, I genuinely don't... I, I know I get sent off a couple of times for him, but um, I, had, I had running battles with that fucking mob. Um, <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to enjoy it. When I moved to Kent, uh, my neighbour, the guy who ended up buying Malcolm Allen's, a boy called Nick, he's a mad Charlton, mad Charlton fan. And do you remember the old ITV match on a Sunday? Yeah. For some strange reason, they, they always picked uh, they always picked Charlton. 
And I used to I used to organise tickets to go to to go to the valley. And uh, so I used to take him down. And we used to go into the players' lounge before the game and we made a point of never going to watch the game. We would sit in the players' lounge all afternoon, right? So the time, big Cal Lieburn and Garner and all that, um, when they came in, I was a wee bit worse for wear. And, and I remember Cal Lieburn coming in and, he, and I said, hey, you're out of contract this summer, aren't you? And he went, he did a kind of squeaky voice, he went, yeah, man. He says, we'll have to tear down the stand to pay me. I went, fuck off, you shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was so funny, that's No, nice. but, but listen, I love, I love the big guy. He just burst out laughing, do you know what I mean? And I used to, uh, I think at that time, they had a guy called John Humphreys. Now, I don't know if John was at Palace, but he was a neighbour. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was a neighbour in my flat. Uh, it was about eight flats in this vicarage and he was a neighbour he was a model professional so I don't know what John uh, kind of you know but he was all, it, I actually say I actually got to meet him later on when I fucking see, eventually grown up and you know kind of been able to kind of be comp- compassmentous without kind of bone in at all of us so uh, no so I, I used to enjoy going to Chatham but I, I had running battles and I all started there was there was lots I think they did with Peter Gar- Garland they had Lee Boyer um, there was lots of them, so uh, and and I managed to score a few a few goals against Charlton. I think I've got a very good record against them. So every time I went back to the valley throughout the course of my my, my career, and um, they used to fucking batter me. And 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 again, I've, I've mentioned Dean right. See, when I used to go to the opposition grounds, uh, the more abuse I got, the more I enjoyed it. I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of fed off that, and I and I went back down in two thousand. And as soon as the threes get off this fucking chat tonight, I want you to go and look at Alec Rago versus Charlton. And uh, I've scored about a 35 yard on my left foot. I know you see me running about going, <laughs> get off. And I, and, and I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if my old pal, uh, my old pal Ken Chapman can see me now. <laughs> Obviously, we had Charlton a few times. Um, you played a few games against West Ham as well. I mean, I just wondered what your oh, memories are playing against West Ham for me. Do you see that there, Omar? I fucking sound. Oh, no, I'm ready to talk about oh, it. <laughs> I'm ready to fucking punch someone. It was, uh, listen, Omar, let me tell you a story, son. We, we've got... We've got um, Right. This is true. This is a true story. So, and when I was 17 to 20, Omar, mm-hmm. guys like uh, Mikey and Neil there will t- testify that every day they two characters in this, and myself would buy a Sun newspaper, a Star newspaper, and on the page three, you would get a glamorous model, topless, <laughs> right? There was none of this fucking Google stuff and all this... That, accessibility all you young guys have got. Our only pleasure was buying the paper on the way to work or on the way to training and having a gander, right? <laughs> My first experience of, um, I walked into Upton Park and again, I was about 20, 21. And I remember at that time, there was probably only maybe about six or eight page three girls. There was Linda Lasardi, Suzanne Mitzi, uh, Jenny Blythe, Sam Fox. So I can see these two cunts nodding. I can see them nodding. They know who I'm talking about. So, so when I walked, when I walked in, so 
I walks into Upton Park and I'm fucking fired up. I'm going fucking right animal. Because by the way, they, they had two lively guys in there. They had uh, Mad Dog, uh, what was his name? Uh, Alan, Martin my boy Alan. Alan, Martin Allen, and he had yep. a guy called, is it something Parish, George Parish? Uh, a, a black lad, was it Parish? Yeah, uh, Parish, yeah. A heart, anyway, he, the two of them were fucking lively. The, the two of them, really, particularly in a derby, I was just a wee boy. I was just coming in here. But as I walked into the reception, there's a, they had an old Chesterfield, Omar. A Chesterfield was like a two-seater leather, leather seat that everybody would fucking die for. It was a proper, it was a couch of the day. And Macaveni sitting there like that with Jenny Blythe. And I was like, what are you, Macca? And he went, <laughs> he went, wee man, how do you think I'm doing? And I'm like, you dirty bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Ma- and Macaveni, and, that, and that's me going to play my first fucking derby game at West Ham. And I'm fucking overawed because Frank Macaveni's sitting there with Jenny Blythe. So that was my real introduction. But, but Mac, and by the way, I'm good pals with Frank Macaveri. Now we play five sides every week, and I, 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 I reminded him. I said, I said that to him. I says, Macker, I says, how could you possibly? Where, where, where did it go wrong with Jenny Blythe? Anyway, she never took too kindly of, of me pumping four of your mates. <laughs> <laughs> So we laugh. Like, oh, she's my son. I fucking love you. I love you, mate. You're, you're the dog's ball. It was my So, but and, and as I said to you, but see, I'll be honest with. Uh, as a wee guy coming from Glasgow, and, and and I wasn't the biggest. You know, I, I could. I was competitive, but physically, I remember they two guys were tag teaming me. They they booted fuckers, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, that's not going to happen again. Uh, so the, over the, the times that we did play against them, I always made sure I was leaving my foot in. Yeah, that must have endeared you quite well to most of our support, leaving your foot yeah. in. Yeah, well, the, listen, I, 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 listen, I think that's just part of uh, bear with me, boys. I'm just top my wee, my wee drink up here. I, I just think, um, I think when you're, uh, I think when you're, uh, yeah, what do you call it? I think when you're uh, the type of player that I was, I, I like to get fucked in as well. Um, I, I, I used to, I used to enjoy it. Um, uh, and 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 it listen, just to, there'll, be, there'll be kids listening to this. See, when you're a football player. Sometimes the game's kind of passing you by, and you're not getting a lot of the ball, uh, so that you can dictate it. You're not getting a shot off, and sometimes a tackle can just really set the place alight. I think that's one of the things that the Millwall and, and most fans anyway, but it's particularly Millwall's. See, as soon as you lay somebody out, the punters lot, and they actually thrive on that kind of intensity or a couple of corner kicks, um, and and that's how. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Hey, Chief, we got a damaged RV on its way to the OR. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of RV surgery. <laughs> Wait, are you promoting me? Congrats, Martinez. Doctor, that RV's flatlining. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of nursing. So you're just promoting everyone now? Yeah, kind of looks that way, doesn't it? When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. We sometimes galvanize the team. Uh, and I had no issues. I always tried to put my foot in regardless. Listen, I, I, <clears throat> I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I can't really... Genuinely, the, 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 obviously this is... I can't remember. They obviously, they're coming on in the pitch invasion and things, but that was just an invasion. There wasn't any kind of... Fist. I, 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 I remember one day specific one day and it was because it involved my wife we were up at Birmingham 
And for some strange reason, the Birmingham hierarchy decided to uh, to put the Millwall fans, it was behind the goal, but they put the Birmingham fans above them. And I remember they were getting all, fucking all sorts of missiles thrown down and the Millwall fans were trying to get up to get at them. Uh, and, my, and I remember standing on the pitch going, fuck, my missus is in there. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, so that was really the only one. And then I think we, if my memory serves me right, when we came out afterwards, our team bus was trashed as well. And uh, I've got to be honest with you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm middle-aged now and I'm pleased that the majority of that stuff is surpassed. It's, it's the game's moved on dramatically since the days and um, yeah listen fuck's sake because the thing is I'm, I'm trying to entice my boy to go to a football match you know I don't even know if it's about here I don't even know shit. he's fucking bowling about with a rugby ball I fucking my boy he's got a rugby ball so I'm thinking to myself I've, I love him too much or I'd end up getting him a backhander you know he's fucking so how old's your boy? Uh, he's 11 he's 11 now but Thankfully, he's just starting to case. He's, he's actually really starting to take up football. He's wearing the football top star up, but he was a rugby man, believe it or not. So, um, so I'm just trying to get him. And, and I wouldn't like, I remember being at a Ranger Celtic game in 1920 years ago, and fucking hell, man, talking about being scared. And at, at that stage, I'm 29, I'm established, I'm playing at Sunderland in England's Premiership, so people know, know who you are. And fucking Peter Reid. Rangers had to go to Parkhead to, um, I had to go to Parkhead to to win, and it would have been the first time in a hundred year history, ninety nine years or whatever the fuck it was, a hundred years. It was the first time in their history that they would have won a league at Parkhead, and I thought I ain't going to that. By the way, they're fucking they'll be murders. So I don't know if you remember this game. The referee got coshed with a coin, blood come down his face. The one of the Celtic fans fell for the top tier, getting fucking stretched along the touchline. He's waving to the fans. But on the Thursday before it, I says, I'm not going. And then the closer the game's getting, I'm thinking, I want to go to this. I fucking want to go to this. And um, so I went to see I tried every avenue in Glasgow. Couldn't get a ticket because they were gold dust because everybody wanted to be at Parkhead to win the league with Rangers. So I went to see Peter Reid and he's sitting there. He used to sit there with his feet up like that in the desk and he's fucking... I goes, Gaffer, I'm looking for a big favour. He says, all right, if I can do it, I'll do it for you. He says, I'm, I says, I'm looking for a Rangers Celtic game. And... Uh, he says, ah, lovely, lovely. Give me an hour. Come back and see me. So I goes back in and I only went, sorted. I went, fuck off. Went, no, he says, no, I've got your ticket. Don't worry about it. He says, there's only one stipulation. I says, what is it? He says, you have to wear a suit. I says, I've never worn a suit to Ranger Cell again in my fucking life. Are you have your nut? He says, yeah, no. You're gone as a, you're gone as a Sunderland chief scout. <laughs> so I thought, fuck it. I'm in. And, it, and this is true. This is the only time I've ever felt threatened at a game. And what happened was, I go to the main entrance, right? And I've got the suit on. I'm trying to keep the fucking heat down. Don't want to catch anybody's eye. So they, they, they give me a ticket for the scouts. I go through the main staircase. I go up and I'm just sitting right, three seats right of the Rangers directors. And there's 7,000 fans away up in the right-hand side. And there's 53,000 Celtic fans running about us. And I'm in the Celtic end. And, but as I go in, you've got guys like Pierre Vihondog, Dominic Matthew, and, and the, the two rows in front of me is all the Celtic reserves, Alan Stubbs and Jackie McNamara weren't playing that day. And, 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 and then I'm in the third row. The people behind me are all suited and booty and I thought, oh, fucking lovely, I'm safe in here. Oh, I'm safe in here. 
a long story short, we're two nil up. I'm sitting on my hands, right? But I've got the biggest cheese on my hand. The guy taps me behind my back and goes, you're on the wrong fucking end. And I went, fuck. Right? So I've not moved. I'm thinking myself, well, do I make a beeline for the exit before they fucking attack me? So I didn't move. He taps me and goes, you're on the wrong fucking end. So I've, I've had to front this guy. So I've turned around and the guy's got a suit on. So I turned around and went, see if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm going to leather you, you cunt. Right? He's, the guy's wife turns around and went, leave him alone. He's not doing any, bro- he's not bothering anybody. He went, I don't give a fuck. That old bastard's fucking, I'm sitting there, I'm single. please God, get me out of here safe. There was 113 arrests. The guy was abusing me, he was calling me all sorts of things. This is fucking madness. But honestly, it was, that was all the time I've ever been at a football match. I thought, I ain't going out of here alive. There was some, there was, there was grounds that you went to, as you boys know, were hostile. I always felt Birmingham. There was always a wee undercurrent there. When we went to the Wel- the, the Welsh clubs, Swansea or, or, or Cardiff. I'm not even sure. Sean, I might have. So I think Cardiff might have been. So we went there. We up to Leeds. It was a bit lively. Um, so uh, I just think, uh, did we play Leeds? Fuck, did he come down? But there was a couple of anyway. There was a couple of grounds that were a bit lively. Uh, Pompey was a bit lively, I know. Um, but seems you're on the field to play. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Barry. I, I, I was getting away with things that I would I would never have tried off the pitch. I would try to wind people up and just been a wee prick, by the way. You know, and you think to yourself, see if, see if I know what I know now. I would just have thought, well, fuck it. I'd have slapped myself and say, Cam, doing you an asshole, you know what I mean? Uh, some of the behaviour at times, try to wind people up and all that. Um, and it's funny um, because I ended up going and playing the Masters in 2011 and and, and, and I, I played against Watford and there was a boy Robert Page and, and I'm not joking the boys he must have been six feet two built like a brick shit house and, and then when you see some of these other guys Daryl Powell and all that and, you know they're, they're really big big units and I used to I used to be going totatorium and and, and, I, and I had like a, an epiphany when I was playing in that Masters and I was like what the fuck were these guys actually thinking when they've got this wee five feet nine fucking 11 stone guy wanting to fight them? Do you know what I mean? And and, and uh, they must have been going, this wee guy's half his fucking heat. Um, and, and it was just a perception that you were trying to build up over the years. And, and I'm pleased to see that I, man- I eventually managed to get on top of all that behaviour when I was, I'm going to say about 30. So for about the last six years, I wasn't born about like that. I actually got capping my emotions. And a lot of that stuff was bravado. A lot of it was fear. And I had to I had to go to therapy to actually work out why I was getting you mentioned uh, red cards and fuck knows what I had to go to therapy because I didn't realise why I was lashing out and punching cunts and elbowing guys and all that. And I'm sitting in the dressing room going, There's another fucking two weeks' wages. I ain't gonna get any bonus money, I ain't gonna get any appearance money. And and I I couldn't sit there as a 30-year-old and go, Why the fuck are you behaving like this? So I, I ended up going to see a geezer in the Priory in London and I spent a couple of days doing some work. And a lot of it was you see, you paint a picture, and, and you guys are all, if you're from around about the, the Bermondsey area, you you understand this kind of mentality. When I was growing up in the East End of Glasgow, again, because I'm not a big frame guy, my dad would be ringing my ears. See if somebody smashed me, he'd be going, get fucking up and fuck them back. Which is great, because you, you learn to survive in an environment like that. And that never leaves you. 
So then when you go into professional football, if you feel threatened, I've got my dad's fucking voice ringing in my ear. Smash that fucker, you know. So so that behaviour into professional sport, it, it doesn't go hand in hand. And until the penny drops, because a lot of times you feel, you feel scared, you know, you feel, there's fear kicks in and you just lash out and you ask questions later. But uh, it was costing me so much. And, I, I, and until I'd done some work with this guy, and, and, and he asked me a very simple question. He said to me, how, how many serious injuries have you had in your career? So at that point, I've been playing for, I made my debut at 17. I'm 38, roughly. So in 13 years, I've had very few bad injuries. So it's an irrational fear. So, and I, I know no user on here to talk about milk, but it's so important that, because that, I, I got on top of that behaviour. And for six years, I was in total control of my emotions. And that's when I played my best football. So for, I would say for 29 to 35, I played some fucking terrific football. And and, and if I had the help, and or, or again, if I was willing to listen to that type of stuff, I could have been playing at a higher level so much earlier than I, than I, than I did do. So you, you, you obviously coming towards the, to the tail end of your middle career, but a couple of noteworthy games that obviously a bit before my time sorry to say it but um, yeah. I, my dad always tells me about Chelsea away in the FA Cup now you played in that game what was your memories of that one obviously we're talking about crowds and stuff like that but I remember this, I look on YouTube and I search it up and I see police horses on the pitch I see I see all sorts going on there so what's your recount of that of that day well, that, well, well that's what it was like oh, listen you, you, I mentioned a couple of um, places there was none more hostile than going to the bridge. It was, it was magic. The atmosphere, uh, the, their stadium was nowhere near what it is like now. It's a bit of a shithole as well. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you've got these kind of household names, and and, and that's, I suppose. Um, so um, it was an amazing night uh, because obviously we got the result we were looking for. What well, did they go to? Where was it? Penalties? Yeah. No penalties. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think I took one that night. I'm trying to think whether a fucking. Does anybody remember the penalties that night, no? No, I can't remember last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I was just because as I said to you, I was a glory hunter, so I I I would have probably took the fourth or fifth penalty, I would imagine. Um so but what I, <laughs> I remember getting back to the gym palace and I never spent a fucking penny that night. That I do know. But no, I remember the horses and all that come on, I remember the carnage. I also remember when we beat Arsenal at um uh, oh, that was that my next was, question. <laughs> oh, Omar, Omar. I actually remember the Arsenal game uh, more so than the Chelsea game for, for some bizarre reason. And um, yeah, because the Arsenal game is a replay, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, but we yeah, it was a replay. replay. Yeah, we drew it home, and I thought, fuck. And again, the atmosphere was brilliant. That was a Saturday, I'm sure. And then obviously we played them, and uh, we played them a midweek. And I'll never forget it, by the way, because fucking wee Mark Baird was not known for his uh, goal scoring. He, he was another, you know, and I, I, I haven't really mentioned this. The actual the the actual youth setup at Millwall at that particular time was magnificent. They had uh, they had Birdie, Ben Thatcher, uh, Pikey Roberts, Andy Roberts. Um, they had the boy. Oh, what was his name again? Mark um, came through that system as well, didn't they? Mark, yeah, they also had uh, Jermaine Wright coming through. 
It was Jermaine Wright. That's yeah. what I was thinking about. Jammer was a very good football player. Mm-hmm. They had a young boy called Danny Chapman, was a, a stocky boy. So they, they, they managed to bring through a nucleus that actually made the club millions and they were great and, and they brought energy. And Thatcher was, he was fucking, he was insane. He, he, I actually moved to, you were saying there, Mickey, I ended up moved to, out towards Brands Hatchway. And we used to come down, um, used to come down Brands Hatch. And and we, it was, coming down this hill, we used to take a, a, a right turn. And he'd fly down there about 60 miles an hour and do a handbrake turn going down this hill. And the car would spin about fucking three times. And then he would just batter out the first gear and then batter back up the hill. <laughs> it was fucking nuts. And um, so, but the Arsenal game, and I'll never forget this because this is going back to my point about being that we always playing on the edge. The very last kick of that game, I don't know if any of you remember this. Ian Wright, the ball was coming up to Ian Wright and I thought, he's taking that on his left foot. So that would have been on to my right foot. So I've anticipated it. And as he's took it, I've got the ball and I've smashed right in. And my impact is fucking, he's flew up in the air. But just as, much, as quickly as he's flown in the air, as soon as he hits the ground, he comes after me. He try and fucking lay, me, lay one on his right. So I've, I've burst out laughing. I'm going, fuck off. And then and then uh, Rhino and all that is fucking give me to all the heavy hitters, all the big hitters have come in at my back. Right? And I'm pissed myself. I went, fuck off. You've just got a silver medal there, right? <laughs> so the, the referee's sharp. It was a, the dying seconds. He's just blew the whistle. And we're verbals get off the pitch. And I says, fuck on you. Let's have it. I'm going to get a monkey, right? But, but I'm a shite bag. I know that Rhino and Oriam and, and Andy Roberts and fucking Ben Thatcher will be all over like a rash. So anyway, we managed to get in the tunnel and it all gets separated and things things are fine. So I'm desperate to get up for a pint. You know what I mean? I phone my missus uh, and I'm saying to her, right, get around to the players' lounge. And it turns out that they wouldn't let the, the wives into the players' lounge because uh, you know what it's like after a game like that. So it can be a bit lively. So my missus is downstairs. I said, listen, love, I'm going up for a fucking pint. Hey. So... Just as I walked in the double doors, out of nowhere, Ian Wright's trying to fucking lay one right in my chops, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a pure commotion, right? And we end up getting kicked out of the fucking players' lounge. I didn't even get a pint of fuck all, by the way. And, and I always... And, and by the way, it's a really great thing about this story. I, I never came across Ian Wright up until... I'm going to say about 14 years, 12, 14 years after this. And... Cal Robinson was a coach at MK Dons. I'm a coach. And he says, I'm going to bring a st- uh, striker coach on, Alex. I says, oh, hey, who, who, who have you got in mind? And he went, Ian Wright. And I thought, you might want to fucking reconsider that by we the wee ding-dong back in the day. And it's, it's right he came in, right? I went, we're not going for round two, right? Are we? And I have to be honest with you, I've never met a fucking nicer geezer in football. He was brilliant, man. He was absolutely brilliant. And... Um, I think he was a similar character, wasn't he, in terms of he was a wee bit hostile or a wee bit fucking up in your face. I love, I love right he's just a great guy. Going back to your Chelsea game, yeah, you scored the winning penalty. You scored the See? penalty, what went, it was 4-4, Lee scored 4-4, and then you scored what made it 5-4, and then right? um, Spencer's shot from, from them was, um, was yeah. saved. But you got four of us, got four of, your, four of the players with you, uh, Kev, where is it, Rhino, you, Dave Mitchell and Tony Witten all got booked that night as well. Yeah, well, it wouldn't surprise me because see, the thing is, with the derby games, they were like, and see, be honest with you, see, back in the days, you, you, you literally had to have someone in two before you get a yellow card. Do you know what I mean? It was a wee bit more forgiving. 
Mm. If you if you fucking if you if you, if you look someone in the wrong direction these days, you're getting a card. So I, I wouldn't like to actually be playing at the moment because fuck me, man, it's it's you know, somebody's somebody's ridiculous. Uh, with the, with they get cards for so. No, but that's right. I, I do, but I genuinely, I remember, I remember looking back. Uh, I remember looking back after the Chelsea game. We wound up in the Gym Palace. It was great. It was a brilliant night. So, what's your greatest memory from Millwall, either on or off the pitch? Greatest memory? Fuck knows. Uh, okay, listen. If you can remember that far back. No, no, I do. I, I remember. I'm just try to think. I would. I would have to say the hat trick in Notts County. Yeah. You know, I think that's a stat. That, listen, I. It did, I'm not sure it had any significance or anything. You know, obviously you're saying you score a penalty against Chelsea. Ultimately, Casey would have saved it, I suppose. But, uh, um, but in terms of the hat trick, it was a, it was a, it was, <laughs> it was mad. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a. The three goals were kind of decent strikes as well. I, I, I know for a fact that that was a round about Christmas time. I don't know it's if you've heard this story. 11th, 11th December, 1993. Well, the 11th of December in 1993, the Millwall team had their Christmas night out that night. We went, we, this is a, this is a true story. We went to a hotel uptown in London and at half past two, it was, it was kind of dying of death. And I said to my missus, her, 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 her cousin, had a uh, had a, a gaff a, a house party behind Thomas or Beckett. You now there's an estate there, yeah. and you don't go in there at fucking late at night. It's a shit to all their place, right? What was the name of that estate behind there? Oh, you're on about the Ellsbury. Oh, for fuck's sake, man! It was like the Bronx. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm going back to a party there. Now, what I haven't mentioned is I'm dressed up as a woman. I've got a mini skirt on. I've got fishnet tights. I've got six inch size nine high heels because I'm an eight and my fucking toes were like that. And I've got a boob tube on and I've got a wig the day that I've scored a hat trick, a blonde wig. I, I don't know if this is still the same. We're going along the old Kent Road and I says to the missus, because she, she didn't drink, I says, darling, Thomas or Beckett, hit it a right and that's us at your cousins. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but you can't turn right there. No. There's a no right turn at Thomas or Beckett. Yeah. 100 yards along the road. Woo! woo and I'm thinking. By the way, I'm dread head to toe like a lady tonight. I says, let me deal with this. I've jumped out the car, right? And I'm fucking, I'm, I'm worse for wear. I've jumped out the car and walked towards these two police bent. The copper in my side went, Madam, can you please get back in the car? Right? And I've went, What's that, son? Right? The copper took a step back. And he's went, Alex, is that you? He's <laughs> up Scottish accent, right? The geezer's nearly fucking pissed his pants. He went, Fuck off. He says, We were shouting about you scoring a hat trick today. You're dressed and dragged it. The, the two coppers let us away with it. And we ended up carrying on to a party, but I was I was stopped, fucking dressed head to toe, and, uh, as a woman with a blonde wig, with the old bill, uh, the night I scored that hat trick. So it was a very memorable day. Because it all started to go wrong just after that uh, Chelsea Cup run, didn't it? Yeah, when Mick McCarthy left for Ireland, Jimmy Nickel came yeah. in, and it kind of went from 
tenth to shit in no time at all. Didn't yeah, we? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, I think I think um, what I've come to realise over the years, see if the dynamic in the dressing room and things are not quite right, it, it's like a cancer and it festers. Now, I, I'm, I am not blaming the two Russians that came in, but they were on a fortune. And I actually got on well with Sergei Uran. Sergei was a bit of a wild child. So I got on quite well with that boy. And um, But uh, uh, if my memory serves me right, we're top of the league up, up to Sunderland round about Christmas time. And then we ended up getting relegated. So from that point, it, it, things went wrong. As you said, Mick had left. Uh, and, and, and if you ask me what my, my biggest regret was, it was uh, getting sent off against um, Oldham because I, I couldn't play the last couple of games. Um, me and Chris Macon, who, who then became a teammate of mine, um, quite a handy fucker from Manchester. He he became a, a teammate of mine, and uh, uh, and as I said, I, I was I was at Ipswich that day. We got relegated, and I was fucking near to tears because I think myself this is fucking what a way I can't even do on. And 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 that and, and and that goes back to my earlier story. What I was telling you is that I I I was behaving in a particular way that was costing the team and it was costing myself. But I couldn't actually sit there and give a definitive why I was behaving in that manner. And, and it's not a good place to be because you're actually behaving in a particular way that's, that's costing you and it's cost the team. And uh, so that would be my biggest regret, without a doubt. It's interesting because, I mean, you, if I was obviously the untrained eye, I look at your statistics if you want to talk about stats, but that was your best season for scoring goals for me all that year, yeah. 16, 16 goals. 16, yeah. Yeah. No, no, but listen, uh, no, 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 because the thing is, I could have done something about it. I didn't have the opportunity to do that. And then, then obviously I left uh, left that, that summer to go up to Sunderland. And and I was probably ready to go as well, if I'm honest. It's funny because I, 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 Big Mick, Big Mick was a good manager. He, I used to, in the days, you used to get uh, little snippets, gossip uh, on the Sunday, which go, Alec Ray's been linked to so-and-so. And 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 because I was always skint, I used to spend more money than I fucking earned. And uh, and um, I used to always be trying to get a move because in my mind, if I got a move, I would uh, you know uh, I would get more money and it would help my financial uh, plight. Um, and uh, in nineteen ninety one, uh, Adrian Heath, who was at Everton, we Howard Kendall says that at that point they were they, they were going to bid nine hundred grand. So after a year. They were going to bid that, but because I had a couple of off the field issues just before Christmas, uh, they, they they pulled back because they had bad bad reports about my off the field stuff. So uh, I eventually got that move in in '96, and uh, yeah, it was an opportunity to go and try my my my, my skills at the the highest level because that was they they'd obviously won promotion that year. So and it was it was a couple of hours for Glasgow as well, which was obviously a, a an attraction. Mm-hmm. Because you came back, didn't you, in 92 for a Friday night game, which I think was on the old ITV Sport. We won 1-0. I think Steve Claridge scored a penalty. You'd actually scored the winner in the return game, I think, earlier that season, I think, yeah. What was it no like? Idea. What did you mean coming back? 92? 2002? 2002. I think Neil said 92 there, by accident. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, sorry. By the way, Neil, my, I know my memory's bad, son. Foxy, I've got, I've got a good excuse. I was doing the gym palace. Alex, we're even reading this off a piece. Of, we've got a little chat, so read it off there. So he still got it right. wrong, so. Sorry, geez. <laughs> no, so, so, no. Did you, did you see I, I, I come back in 2002? 
yeah, no, you played against us in 2000. Oh, fucking. The only goal. Oh, listen, listen. Uh, uh, I joined, I joined uh, Wolves in 2001. And it, uh, I think I struggled. They, they, they went about 13 games. I, jo- I joined late. I had, a bad in- I had an injury at the end of my Sunderland days. And it carried on throughout the summer. And then I think we're about September time or whatever it was, I signed for 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 Wolves, and I invited up a, a fella called Ray Phillips. I don't know if any of you know Ray. Ray, Ray. He's a lively little fucker anyway. Fee, fee, that neck of the woods. He was a bit of a oh yes, and he was a good he was a good lad, Ray. And um, all the players knew we Ray, we Ray. and uh, and he uh, he says uh, he phoned me, contacted me. Uh, he says, I'm coming up with a few of the Millwall boys. And um, I says, oh, brilliant. I says, that's great, mate. Why, why, you know? So I, I, I had struggled to get into the, the Wolves starting lineup, And a couple of games before Wolves were coming to town, it was a midweek game. And we'd been about 12 or 13 games undefeated. The Wolves had had a flying start. And we're playing in the game and things. And to be fair, it was a right good wee crew of Millwall fans over on that far side. And uh, the ball the ball came across I don't know I'm going to say around about 7 or 10 yards and I fucking scored a glancing header against Millwall in the 92nd minute and it, it didn't dawn on me at all that I was scoring against Millwall genuinely and just because my usual I was like you're fucking beauty like that right and then I realised that I'm running towards the Millwall fans and there's about fucking 200 of them trying to go over the wall to get, to get me. and I thought and then it dawned on me and I realised I thought Fuck! What are you doing, you idiot? And uh, and and then I'm meeting Ray and these Millwall fans later on, and I'm thinking to myself, they, they were staying in the hotel that I was staying in, Dudley, uh, Ray and his little mob. And uh, anyway, I, I, afterwards they were alright about it, but I have to, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it was a regret because it was just pure emotion that I'd scored in the ninety second minute or something. And uh, and and then as you said, when I come down to the den, by the way, I fucking go to both barrels. By the way, some of the fans were battling us. I'm like, fucking six years, these bastards are battling us. It's fucking blood and cuts and God knows what. But listen, um, I, I, if, uh, if if someone had done the same with my team, Rangers, I'd have been slaughtered. Them, I know. So I, I actually found it quite funny, man. Yeah, because there was seventeen thousand in that grand on that Friday night because I can just remember the abuse that Dave Jones got for 90 minutes yes no listen it's um, oh, listen like, it goes with the territory as I said to you on see when, see when opposition fans gay abuse I fucking love it man I, I, I've always loved it and as I said to you I'm back down to the valley and I scored that fucking unbelievable goal um, I'm scared of dogs abuse and that, that kind of stuff sticks that stick with you but um, but you know when you're talking about that kind of I see the fact that the, when you're talking about water, uh, uh, the, the den getting 18,000. Listen, I'm 51 now. I would love, genuinely, I, I know finances play a big part, it makes it more difficult. I would love Millwall to get promoted. Can you imagine the Millwall fans welcoming all these fucking Premier League oh, yeah. teams to the den? Oh, yeah. Jesus, Johnny. You know, it, would be, it would be something like they'd never experienced. Um, because you go to a lot of modern day games and the atmosphere is no great. You know they've mm. got one, one wee section of ultras. A, a lot of a, a lot of uh, clubs now. But once the den gets rocking and they start that, uh, it's fucking. It, it, it gets you going, man. And so 
listen, hopefully before I fucking pop my clogs, I'll be able to witness a game down there. I could maybe get back down. Maybe bring back up anyways. I'm sure Frankie boy would get a good reception in Millwall, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially we brought Jenny Glyde with him. <laughs> listen, I don't even know what she, I don't even, I don't, I don't even know what she's doing. Yeah, hopefully she's no answer on this fucking but this podcast because it may not have been four. It may have been Mel, unless I don't know. <laughs> Just before we um we carry on, and obviously I said to you we give you charity a nice big plug in that. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about obviously ninety ninety eight when you obviously got treatment for alcohol? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted listen, to check first. Yeah. No, listen, listen. See, nineteen ninety four when I was at Millwall, that was the first time I tried to to do something about it. I was um. I was fucking out of control. That's the only way to describe it. Uh, I didn't have a, a a filter. I didn't, and once I started, it was difficult to stop. And it, it was, it was holding back my career, my family life. Everything was kind of paying a price. And without going into too much detail, 98 is when I actually addressed it for the second time. But at that time, I was ready. And I've, I've, throughout the course of this podcast, I've said when Dorsey was telling me in my first season in 1990, you know, you need to curtail this. It's a short career and things. And, and it's only when you're receptive to help or willing. And I think partly part of the problem was, the, in 94 was, the girl said to me, you need rehab. And I went, fuck that. Because, again, I've mentioned fear. And and and, and I thought I'd have lost my job. Uh, tarnished, I thought players would use it against us. And, and they have done, players have done it over the years. So... Uh, so I didn't want to date in 94. So I could have saved myself four years of fucking heartache. So anyway, 94, uh, sorry, 98, uh, it was just a normal weekend, nothing too outlandish. Uh, and uh, I just said, I've had enough. And, and I ended up coming down to London. I came down to London and then I managed to turn around my life and my career. And that's when I said to you, you know, Omar said, oh, he played 16, he, sorry, scored 16 goals in the last season at Millwall, which is great, decent performances. You remember me for, you know, you know, decent times and put a decent shift in. I went to a different level. That is undoubtedly, uh, and when I just tell you the six-year spell that I was involved in, my my first uh, my first year, we uh, Sunderland won the league with 105 points in the championship. We think about it, 105 points. It was an unbelievable year. The next, the next two years, we finished top seventh in the English Premiership. So there's three years right away that I'm playing at a level that I've never managed to attain over a, over a period of time. The the next year, I moved to Wolves, back to the Championship, and I won the Player of the Year, and we missed out in the playoffs. The next year, we won promotion for the first time in 20 years with Wolves. And then at 34, I signed a two-year contract, full circle, back to the Rangers and in my first year I won the double I won the league in the last two minutes of the club at a fucking you know is, that, that, that's my team I was going to ask you that what, what was it what was it like playing for your boyhood club oh Jesus on your was, on your own manner yeah. <laughs> oh listen do you remember I told you at the start of this this uh, call I told you about a guy who plucked me out of obscurity and got me back in so that's a sliding door moment so you I'm not sure. I, I might have went back into football because, you know, you might have found the love for the game again after the initial disappointment. So, at Christmas, I've got four or five months of my contract left at, at Wolves. 
And and th- these circumstances are bizarre because I'd, I'd scored about seven or eight goals at Christmas. I scored about five in the Premiership, two or three in the Cup. And I'm having a real... I'm, I'm just about to turn 34, so I'm having a fucking purple patch at, at a good age. And Tony Gubber for the BBC contacts Wolves and he says, we'd love to do an interview with Alex. He's, he's really, you know, considering he's a struggling at the bottom of the table. He's, 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 he's having a great time of it. We, but we don't want to... Uh, we don't want to date the ground. Is there anywhere somewhere Alec would feel comfortable? And I told him that I'd, I'd bought a, a farmhouse, uh, a farmhouse in uh, just in the outskirts of Wolverhampton. It was lovely, Mickey. It was fucking, it was gorgeous. I, I had a Macy Ferguson tractor. I had five and a half acres and I used to cut all the grass with my wee daughter. And, that, and now I've got my first kid. She's only a couple of years old. And I've got my daughter on my back cutting all the grass and it's fucking magnificent. And uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying my football. And uh, Tony Gubber was packing up after the interview and he went, I meant to ask you what your passion was. And I said, oh, it's very simple. I've just started playing golf a couple of years. I'm playing a lot of golf with Paul Lance. And as soon as this is all finished, this football luck, I'm going to go and watch Rangers playing in Europe. I've never been able to do it because I've always played through 20 years of professional football. So I've never been able to do it. And he says, oh, I'm meeting Alex McLeish tomorrow to do it. I'm flying up today to meet Alex McLeish to do uh, a similar interview tomorrow. And I says, well, you tell Alex McLeish that I'm available for fuck all in the summer. Nothing. He gets a Premier League player in the summer for nothing. Six weeks later, I'd signed a pre-contract for Rangers. Tony Gubber went and told him I was available. And that's how I get back to Rangers. And I'm thinking, you're a fucking lucky bastard. So if I don't do that interview, you're not going back to, you're not going back to Rangers. So to get back to, uh, to Rangers... Uh, to play in an old firm game. And what I'm going to, you ask about what's it like um, Millwall versus West Ham. See, in the second minute in my first old firm game, I went for a 50-50 tackle with Neil Lennon and I've, I've put my foot to tackle it. Both of us have hit the ball at the same time and the impact just did that and jarred, jarred my calf and, and jarred my knee. And, and this is two minutes into your debut in an old firm game. And your adrenaline is fucking pumping. And I mean, your heart's pounding at your chest. And I look over at the doctor and I know, I know I'm in trouble. And I come from a school of, my dad used to go, don't show anybody you're fucking hurt. Don't go down. Whatever you do, don't go down. So I walk over to the doctor and I says, big man, I'm in trouble. You need to give me something for the pain. I'm in fucking banging trouble. And he gives me two white pills. And, and, he, and so he gives me a drink of water and I goes, Thanks. And I said to him, what are they? And he went, two paracetamol. That'll take away the pain, right? I played the 90 minutes plus injury time. And we lost 1-0 in an uh, 85th minute uh, winner for Celtic. And when I come off, I said to the doc, I'm banging trouble here. He says, there's something the matter with my leg. He says, well, why the fuck do you not come off? I says, I'm not coming off. I'm not bound <laughs> to this lot, right? I had a two-inch tear in my calf. I played the full game with a two-inch tear. I was out for 11 weeks after the game. And and, and that gives you a, 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 what an old firm game meant to myself. And, and and the ironic thing was I never played a reserve game and I'd been trying to, I was always trying to target the return game to, fitness-wise was to play Celtic again at, uh, at Ibrox, come back to our place. And that was my first game back. So, you know, I, I played in the, the derby, hadn't played a game. I played against uh, Celtic and we beat them in the quarterfinals. I got the the man of the match after sponsors. 
So it was it was just I, I think I got to sleep about five o'clock in the morning. I just couldn't calm down my adrenaline. And uh and then a couple of weeks later we beat them again in the league. And I can't I can't emphasize to you because Glasgow's such a, a goldfish bowl, what it's like. See if you win, you're walking about like a peacock, you're fucking bone about maps about Glasgow going, I'm the man. <laughs> see, see when see when you you beat you're getting fucking dogs abuse. I mean dogs abuse. And and it goes with the territory. And I tell you one, the one thing through all the clubs that I played with in England and, and in Scotland, the the expect the level of expectation of wearing the Rangers badge is frightening. And Celtic. I'd never experienced it at any other club. It was it was intense. You're now working for Rangers. I mean, you 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 might as well tell because obviously Millwall's got a, a, a fantastic affiliation with with yeah. Rangers. Most of Millwall fans are Rangers fans, etc. Um, but you're doing a podcast now for yeah um, Rangers, which is fairly well, new. <coughs> well, um, this is the thing. I'm I'm actually doing a bit for Rangers TV, but the podcast is independent, but it's purely. Uh, Rangers minded we are going to be interviewed. very similar to what you guys are doing so it's me and Mark Hately which is it's almost like the rough diamond and uh, you know the, the, the wee rogue for the East End because Mark's very polite and, we were, and the contrast is brilliant and it works brilliantly because he ends up talking about yeah when I was playing over in, uh, in Italy you know you're thinking to yourself like, very good and he's talking about playing against Baresi and all these guys and uh, and all these kind of superstars at that time because that was a place to go. And then he also played in Monaco and his his best pal was uh, Prince Albert. <laughs> and, and then I'm pitching, I'm pitching in, telling him about all the, all the rogues for the East End. So um, the podcast is going to, I think I think it'll take off uh, purely because it's so, it's purely Rangers-minded. So we'll be we'll be doing a weekly podcast with uh, former players uh, we're going to be doing it with kind of former coaches. We're going to be doing it with, you know, they've got a women's team. We're going to be doing it with famous fans, uh, famous DJs. We're going to mix it up. And then we also have a post-match. Uh, within the space of an hour, you get the immediate reaction to what's going on in the game. Um, and then we're going to do a, a live show as well, similar to this, so people will, will be able to come in and, and be interactive with us. So we're going to kind of try and throw a lot of energy at it and, It'd be great to get some of the Millwall mob on it as well because, as you said, um, we um, moving the goalposts. That's what we're going to call it by Mark Kelly and Alec Ray. So, I think I think it will be going well, especially kind of people have got time in their hands and you want to sit. In these times, you can't even go for a drink, and uh, particularly with the club doing so well. Once once you once you get it start going and whatnot, let us know. Then you can both come back on and give it a plug properly. Yeah, we'll do, mate. But you're obviously doing Rangers TV. but one thing what I do want to hit on while you're here is the charity you are, because obviously we yeah. know there are some um, wealthy Millwall fans who um, who will always like a bit of tax relief. Um, and <laughs> your, your charity is um, yeah. it does some great stuff. And, um, yeah. and you could do with an extra few quid if people were in a position to be able to, oh, to make a donation. Yeah. So tell us what, what the charity is and what it does. When I come back to Glasgow in 2004, I'd been away for 14 years. Glasgow's a brilliant city. It's so uh, multicultural now. The food, uh, the, the nightlife, um, it's been totally regenerated and things. And I come back to 2004, and the thing that struck me was the amount of people 
who uh, had drug addictions and um, and and al- alcoholism. And I thought to myself, this is this is no right. And the government at that particular time, their recommended treatment plan was to give people methadone. And uh, for me, that was no. I understand that's an option for some people, but that was. I wanted to give them an option, uh, and it was annoying me because there wasn't a great deal of options for people. So, a friend of mine, a guy called John McEwen, who worked in the Priory when I was in there, a big scouser, a big Everton fan, and I said to him, "I says, there's fuck all up here." And he went, "We'll start a charity then." I says, and in my wisdom, I thought, "Oh, that's a great idea. I'll just start a charity as if it's a fucking clicky and fingers." And uh, the hassle we had to do, we had to go through the Oscar and the Care Commission. We had to go over uh, kind of uh, articles and uh, memorandum, everything in place. It was a pure fucking palaver. And uh, and we eventually got up and running. We've been gone for about 14 years. And I'm talking about people who are chronic, daily uh, drug users. The last count we had, we had over 800 people clean. Um, and, and the actual... So what's the upshot of getting people clean? What is the what is the the, the return to society? Um, first and foremost, they get their, they, they get their cells back. So, as a, if it's a if it's a thirty year old guy, he gets his mother, his father, all his siblings, uh, whether he's got a wife or kids, get a guy back. He then gets employment. He starts paying taxes, and more importantly, he will start helping other people uh, who are in a similar position that he was. So. Th- with that charity, then they also become peer supporters in the group. So they stay with us for a year. And then what they do is they help people who have kind of come just starting for day one in the, the shoes that he's already walked. So, um, but we're in difficult times at the moment. The reason why I said to you about financially, we've got money roughly till March. And because of the, the cuts across every sector, uh, and we've, we've, we've asked the addiction services to try and find some money with this. But if we don't do that after 14 years now, um, you know, it took us about eighteen months to get them running. Uh, so if we've got eight hundred people, and it it costs tens of thousands to keep people in methadone yearly. So somebody who has been about twelve years clean and sober through my project would have saved hundreds of thousands of pounds because they are now contributing instead of exhausting. Uh, you know, so if there's anybody out there can help us in some ways, then it's great. If it's no, listen, it's no a big deal. Um, and you know, we've done our bit, and if if we can continue beyond March, then it's God's will. It's not, you know, it's not my will, but it's been brilliant, and it's a very established. Uh, we are part of the Glasgow Addiction Services now, but they only give us half our funding, and because we've not been able to have fundraisers and things, you know, gentlemen's nights, sportsmen's nights, and. Uh, then we've not we've not been able to kind of plug that gap, and that's what the shortfall is because the next tender uh, process is next September. But it's brilliant. It's a, and, and you know the great thing about it is we are on here talking about rivalries in football. At no point do we ever come someone come into that wee project. Uh, do we ask what team to support? You know, it's just about trying to help out people who have had really tough times, and that goes back to if you know people helped me when in '98. It allowed me to get my family back. It allowed me to have three kids in recovery. It allowed me to start this charity to give something back. So it's almost like a snowball effect with these type of things. What you're doing by getting the people 
in the right headspace to actually yeah. decide that well, enough's enough yeah. is, is is an amazing achievement. Getting one person <laughs> off and clean is an yeah. amazing achievement, but get eight hundred off and clean is yeah. is a fantastic achievement, and and definitely hats yeah. off to you. Yeah, well, you, and this is the thing, you know, about by someone coming off and he- coming off heroin and then going on to methadone, you're effect- effectively supplying them to be full of uh, mood altering substances, and they're allowed to look after kids and all that. With our project, you have to be total abstinent. So, you know, if somebody's on a small dose, what we do is we, we kind of lead them into a, a kind of pre-entry so that we can help them along the line so that they come into the project a total abstinent. And, and, and by by being abstinent, that allows them to try and work the programme, which allows them to then get a few months and then six months and then nine months and then a year. And then at that time, because of the support that we give them, because we have aftercare and that as well, that allows them to, to maintain that. And then by coming back as a peer supporter, you're around about all that same people and and it then becomes a wee uh, support network. That's all good. No, that's it. That's it. All good. Well, look, we're finished up. We're saying, look, you know, thanks for your time tonight. It's been um, fantastic. I don't know if the boys want to say anything. I've got one thing I want to do before we finish up. Neil or Omar, you got anything you want to say? Apart from thank you very much for coming on. It's been great. Uh, thanks. Alex. I really appreciate thanks, it. Son. Yeah, let's just say hello to your old man. How will do. It's been it's been absolutely legendary. I used to, yeah, well, I used to cover Millwall games for the Mirror many years ago, and you're always so hospitable, always willing to talk yeah. and whatever else, and you've not changed some. Yeah, do not- you know, Neil? Do you know? Do you know? Then oh well. Is he, we're it's all right. It's all right. You're still no, there. <laughs> no, do you know, do you know, Neil? Do you know the interesting thing? The interesting thing. Uh, my wife came back uh, about three days ago, and my sister has moved to a new house, and she gave me a load of old cuttings from the from that particular time, even in back to my Scotland under twenty one days, and I've got a big mop of hair and all that. So see, see the, what you're saying about working for the mirror and all that. It's I find I find that. Um, it's, I love to get back doing memory lane, even when I'm talking to you boys, because it, it reminds me of fond times. You know, there was obviously a lot of knocks along the way, but uh, I think people are listening to these type of things. Why are listening to the good times? People like just like listening to the stories. But um, just before we do say a final goodbye, I've uh, I found your hat trick for you. Have you found it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you oh, see screen, <laughs> yeah, all right, okay. Do, do, do we go one down first then do we it looks yeah. like it <laughs> yeah. yeah I think I was I, th- I think we go one nil we go one nil down first I remember the geezer it was a yeah you go one nil first yeah and now your three goals yeah no this is them still. yeah no I think it was three one wasn't it so one of them must have got this just a wee cut across that outside of the boot Omar <laughs> I've not quite managed to suss that. Maybe when I was a kid, I used to get away with it, not these days. <laughs> oh, don't tell me about it, man. I was to get his back in level terms, I'm sure. It's funny when you actually see some of the boys and all looking back as well, you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, I'm trying to think of this. Was this a volley? Yes, yeah, this, this, was, was, this was a volley. It comes to the that, was right, to that was right on the edge of your, right on the edge of your reach as well, that was. Yeah, well, the thing is, it was kind of dropping over my shoulder, I think, if my memory serves me right, and then I just kind of, I'm sure I volleyed it. Yeah. Ah, that's right. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah, actually, I. And then the next one was the old party piece. It was just, I'm finished. Look, it was a, a, a swivel of the hips. Oh my, you'll love this one. This was a trademark. This was, this was with the bad. This was with the bad foot. That's brilliant. 
I can't I can't thank you enough for this. Um and yeah, once you get your podcast going, then let us know and we'll get you on and give you a plug so that the, the Millwall boys can, you know, you can come and take over this or something, just do a bit on tell us about what you're doing, what you've got coming up because yeah. uh, I think we've got a lot of Millwall fans who want to listen to you. Um At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, Jerry. Oh, my word. Really, really terrible. Was that a glockenspiel, Jerry? Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, Now, Jerry, it's over. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.